We are reading from Psalm 91 to start with this morning. And uh, after that, we will read a few more scriptures as well, but you can turn there. First of all, um, I was reading a news article this morning. I was kind of slow to get up. I was, uh, if it seems like I'm scared up here, I am not scared of the, the coronavirus or COVID-19 or whatever name they're going to come up with it next. Uh, I'm scared of leading worship. I am so relieved to be done singing in front of all you people. This one. That, that's If there's any fear that I have, it was much more over that. My knees are still shaking. I, I don't like singing in front. You know, I do it at camp out of necessity, but... Um, <laughs> So in any, thanks, I appreciate that. It's just a joyful noise on the Lord. But in any case, um, so I, I was kind of, you know, relaxing in my chair this morning and I was reading uh, a story that made me laugh literally out loud. It had a picture of a man in his garage was stockpiled with what the article explained was 17,700 bottles of Purell hand sanitizer. I thought that's that seems really funny, and I thought this despicable man. Until I read, I saw the picture first, and then I read the headline, and I laughed out loud. And I said, "Man unable to sell seventeen thousand seven hundred bottles of Purell as Amazon, eBay, and Kijiji all deleted his listings for profiteering and price and price gouging." I thought, "Good. I hope he goes bankrupt." <laughs> I shouldn't pray. I shouldn't have prayed that he lost his home. This but no. I'm just, no, I, we don't wish harm on people, but you know what? If he is stuck drinking Purell because that's all he can afford, I think it's good. <laughs> we uh, and and so people are driven by fear, and then others uh, unfortunately take advantage of that. He drove. Uh, the story went on to explain that he drove everywhere he could go in his state buying the stock of every kind of hand sanitizer and Lysol wipe he could find until he had bought out every store in his region and many of the stores in his state of Kentucky. And I just thought, wow. And the the gall at the end of the article, he was lamenting that he wasn't able to sell it and was stuck with it and was saying, I was just trying to help people get it online because they were not able to find it in their hometowns. Go figure why they couldn't find it in their hometowns, right? That all of those kinds of things, the start, I went, uh, Silas and I went to uh, Little Monkey's Treehouse with the Strong Start group on Friday, and we went to Superstore afterwards, uh, not because we're stocking up, but because we live in Clinton, and I just view it as burning money, you know, just lighting a pile of money on fire if you drive to Kamloops and don't get groceries while you're there. We, we had to, so we went in the Superstore, and you know, we had to resist the urge to see everyone else loading their carts with stuff uh, and, and I, you know as I'm grabbing the ground beef I'm realizing you know what God is testing me in this because if I grab six packs of ground beef because I'm I'm thinking oh I might not get back here they might not have it next time that is not what God has called me to do God has not called me to look out for myself and my family alone and I thought, okay, well, as I loaded my one ground beef in, uh, you know, what what would be a normal stock up? Okay, well, I took two and I trusted God to say, you know what, I'm going to re- resist this fear. Because all of this kind of fear is, uh, all these kind of act- actions are actions of fear, including the toilet paper. I was reading the psychology behind why toilet paper when the virus has nothing to do with needing toilet paper in any way. Well, people are feeling like they are out of control. And when they can get something that's in limited demand, it makes them feel in control of some part of their lives. 
so that they can reduce that fear in their lives. It's all fear-based. It's all fear-driven. Well, when God is your refuge and your strength, you don't have to worry about running out of toilet paper. You don't have to buy up a whole bunch when you see it. Uh, and so making God our priority is part of understanding uh, how, to make, how to make him our refuge and our strength. When we make him our priority instead of ourselves, when we make the Holy Spirit and doing what he wants our priority, that brings us to a place of God being our refuge and our strength instead of us having to be our own refuge and our strength. So here in Psalm 91, we're given this incredible list of promises of what happens when we dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Many people are dwelling in the shelter of stockpiling and hoarding. They're dwelling in the shelter of the government to protect them. They're dwelling in the shelter of anything they can come up with that makes them feel better. But only one man, only one person, Jesus Christ, only one God, that is God, the Father Almighty, uh, can truly do all of these things for us and give us true peace uh, in these times. Uh, the first thing it says, if we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, in verse 3, and I'm going to jump back to where we were here. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress and my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. He will save you. Now God's salvation in the physical sense applies here. We don't need to be afraid of getting the virus. And even if we do, we can trust that God will protect us and bring us through it, but much more symbolically and spiritually, we know that even if we do get ill, even if we do die, we know that the Word of God tells us to live is, is Christ, but to die is gain. Meaning, when we when we die, we don't face an eternity of uncertainty. We don't face the rest of our lives being missed out upon, but rather we go to be with the Lord, which we consider great gain. Uh, it's not that we go willy-nilly and foolhardy, that we're foolhardy hardy and foolish in what we do, but rather we don't need to be afraid of what's going to happen either way. Even if things get out of hand, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to fear. The promise is a certain one. Surely he will save you from all of these things. We don't have to be afraid. Secondly, he also will protect us. Not only will he will he save us, but it says he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and his, and his ramp, uh, your, sorry, your shield and your rampart. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. And it continues on, you will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day, no fear of pestilences and plagues. We don't use the word pestilence. I don't even know if I know that word very well. I guess famine would be the closest thing that I can think of. And even if thousands or tens of thousands fall on either side, we can be protected from that. And God's protection is ours when we dwell in him. Well, what does it mean to dwell in the shelter of the Most High? It means to be in his presence in everything we do. It means to listen and be obedient to him. It doesn't mean we say a few magic words and all of a sudden we can't contract a virus because all of us have experienced sickness. All of us have experienced death in our families and our friendships. We're not protected eternally from every bad thing that could ever happen. 
Uh, and this, the, the, these promises are not just a get out of hell free card or a get out of jail free card or get out of sickness free card, but rather they are an eternal promise that lasts beyond this lifetime. And so obviously we know that this doesn't mean that nothing bad ever happens to Christians. Obviously that's not what this is saying, but we can remember that his eternal protection is of infinite importance and that earthly protection does come from the Lord but is not the driving focus of what this is talking about. The next blessing he gives us, the third blessing, is in verse 15. It says, He will answer you when you call on Him. Verse 15, He will call on me. This is, this is God speaking, by the way. This is, this is an incredible blessing. So in verse 14, it starts, Because He loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue Him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I can think of no greater blessing than to have God answer when we call on him. When we love him, that's the promise he gives us. The promise of answered prayer. That, that, among many other things, should cause us to uh, walk in a way that we do not fear what happens. We're not afraid of what other people are going to think of us. We're not afraid of what other people tell us to do. We're not afraid of what the world is afraid of anymore. We also need to know that when God uh, tells us that he promises to answer us, we need to know that sometimes God says no like a loving father says no to his children when they want to eat candy for breakfast. We're not always aware of how immature we are sometimes or how much of the big picture we're just not seeing. And so when God says he will answer us, when we pray that we'll win the lottery, God in his wisdom will often say no. He has every time I've asked him. Of course, I refuse to buy a ticket, so that's pretty hard to win the lottery when you refuse to buy a ticket. <laughs> But when we, when, he, when we call on his name, he will answer us. And sometimes we need to understand that the greatest blessing of all is actually in that verse as well. Not just the answering. It says, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. That gift alone is greater than the answer itself. See, the goal of prayer for us as North Americans too often has been, what can I get from God? What can I receive? I want to receive blessing. I want to receive his grace. I want to receive salvation. I want to receive blessings, whatever that means. I want to receive money because I'm low on money. I want to receive health because I am scared about my health. I want to receive healing. Those are good. It's good to pray and ask God for those things. But the goal of prayer as I see it throughout Scripture, is not just getting things. At least that's been my experience. The goal of prayer, if it is conversation with God, which we consider it to be, the goal of prayer is the presence of God, more, much more so than the presence of God. It's not. We can't treat God like this cosmic vending machine and then call that a relationship. And so when we make prayer about a transaction instead of a, about a relationship, we're, we're missing at least, at least half of the purpose of prayer as a whole. And my guess would be much, 
much more than half. God's desire in prayer is that we would spend time in his presence. He promises to be with us. Psalm 46 is echoed here. It says that God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. God promises to be with us through our trouble. I don't know that there's a better comfort than that. God says, I won't simply spare you from heartache and pain and grief and loss altogether, for these are part of life, but rather he makes the promise, I will be with you through all of those things. He's with us in our trouble. Fifth, the the last thing he promises here in Psalm 91, he makes many promises, but the fifth thing I wanted to highlight on in verse 15 is that he promises to deliver us and to honor us. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and I will honor him. I mean, what better, what better promise do we have? Yes, we, we, I think we would desire to live long lives here on earth and be healthy and have a family and, and spend lots of time with that family. But what could be longer than eternal life? <laughs> nothing, literally nothing. That's not, not possible. And he honors us. Hebrews 6.19 says that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, that our eternal hope in Jesus Christ is eternal life through him. And he's given us the gift of, uh, there, there is no greater honor than being called a child of God. We are welcomed into the family of God. He delivers us and he honors us. So it would, for me, it would be easy to stop there. But as I was reading it, I came across the cross references and remembered uh, another another place where this is written down. And so I want to read Matthew 4. So if you want to jump ahead with me to Matthew 4. I wanted to make sure I did this in context. <laughs> with a whole, you know, a whole Bible view. Now, don't misunderstand me and think that these promises don't apply. They, they do. We, we are protected. We don't need to fear. Well, reading from Matthew 4, we're going to start right from verse 1, and we'll talk about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, tested in the wilderness. And look at, pay attention to the, to the scripture that gets quoted to Jesus. Verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to, to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift, up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. If that sounds familiar, you'll know why. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. If you're wondering if Satan knows scripture, he does. That's Satan quoting Psalm 91, part of Psalm 91, out of context to Jesus to trick him into testing God the Father. And I wanted to remind us this morning that 
Scripture is not a license to be foolish. Jesus understood that Scripture is not a license to be foolish. We don't take things out of context and then go, I don't have to wash my hands. I can just cough all over everyone in public because God will protect me. And I don't, I don't need to be afraid. I'm going to walk without any fear. That's fine. <laughs> but I don't think that's God's desire for us. When we can take reasonable precautions, reasonable precautions, not fearful precautions. So we want to walk in faith and without fear, but we also want to take steps to protect ourselves as well and protect our congregation. That's why the phone calls yesterday. That's why the hand sanitizer at the back and why we're uh, not hugging. It's not because we're afraid, but rather because God's given us wisdom and wants us to be uh, protected as well. So I wanted to read another uh, chapter this morning, or sorry, another verse this morning, one that I feel is really applicable. So let's, let's turn to Exodus 30, verse 21 this morning. And when we get there, I will know when you get there, when you read it. Go ahead and read it without me. Exodus 30, just the first part of verse 21. You get there yet? Verse 21. Just 21a, because I love taking verses out of context. When you read it, you can go ahead and laugh. It's fine. <laughs> Exodus 30, verse 21. Sorry. <laughs> You'll know when you get there. <laughs> if you haven't get there yet, it's okay. Verse 21a. It says, They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they will not die. I wanted to read that this morning. I thought it would be funny. <laughs> the reason I wanted to read that is no one's going around and posting that verse and saying, we need to follow scripture and then taking something out of context and saying, they must wash their hands and their feet or they will surely die. Because that's not what this verse is about. This verse isn't about basic hygiene. <laughs> this verse taken in context is the, the ceremonial washing which is meant to be symbolic of a spiritual washing. They were called, yes, to take precautions in washing their hands and their feet, but much more important was the symbolism of the washing of the heart. And so I read that and remind us not to take things out of context in Scripture. Uh, yeah, just to be silly and to be funny. Of course, I'm being silly. But that's exactly how ridiculous it is when people take Scripture out of context and yell, no fear, I'm not going to be afraid of what the government tells me to do. And the arrogance of saying, not only are we going to go ahead with everything as usual, we're not changing anything because we're not afraid. Do you think that really is God's attitude in a time like this? That we are going to boldly and arrogantly puff out our chest and tell everyone we're not afraid of what the media tells us and we're not afraid of what the government tells us? That is not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father says, do not fear. But the heart of the Father also put in Leviticus 13. And this is homework. Go ahead and read it. All about, about 
the spread of infectious disease. If you think that the Bible doesn't talk about infectious disease, read Leviticus 13 and everything it tells them to do if they are worried about skin diseases and infectious diseases that might spread. That's where we get people who yell, unclean, unclean. It explains what a, what a lesion looks like and if it's going to be infectious and spread or not infectious and not spread. God loves us enough to put in his law how to protect ourselves. I thought, hey, maybe I'll preach on that. I don't know that it applies in our day and age. And also, I don't want to take that out of context either. I'd like to take the Bible as a whole and understand what God is trying to tell us so that we find the balance between uh, we are not walking in fear. We're absolutely not going to walk in fear. And the balance of not being foolish in what we do either. Because when we need to hear the voice of God first, but we also uh, shouldn't be afraid of receiving good, sound advice from our authorities. We shouldn't be afraid of changing things, altering things, canceling things and postponing them if we have to. We, we need to understand that the work of God is not going to stop dead simply because we change the way we do things. Now we read Matthew 4 because we needed to be reminded that despite Psalm 91 being absolutely true, Jesus did not use that scripture to do something rash, foolish, and ultimately dangerous. It's dangerous to jump off the top of the temple. Could Jesus have done it and been unscathed? Of course he could have. Of course he could have. But that's not what that scripture was telling Jesus to do. Taken in context... For us as a whole, we have the protection of God and we don't need to be afraid, but it doesn't give us license to be foolish. I thought about this scripture a fair bit as I prepared for this weekend as a tough decision, a tough question to answer as a leader. Are we being foolish by meeting while many other places close their doors to protect against the spread of coronavirus? Or are we living in fear the other way if we cancel the next three weeks? Or am I living in fear the opposite direction by saying, what happens if we close our doors for three weeks and six weeks more after that we have to close them again? Am I just doing church while I still can because I'm afraid that we're going to be forced to close the doors? I don't want to make my decisions out of fear either way. I found in my study of scripture that the Bible is often about balance. And so while we have scriptures like Romans which emphasize the incredible importance of being saved by faith, that we are saved by grace alone, that it's not our actions that bring us salvation. We also have scriptures like the book of James that tell us faith without deeds is dead. And so yes, we are saved by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one who saves us. But does that mean we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. We also know that faith without deeds is dead, and therefore our faith drives our actions, and we do good deeds, not because we are earning our way to heaven. We don't avoid sin because we, by law we have to or we will die. Or we'll experience eternal death or go to hell. But we do it because we love God, and he's given us the free gift of salvation. For every scripture like Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. For every scripture that says that, we also have scriptures where Jesus says it is very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Scriptures that tell us not to store up for ourselves treasures on earth where thieves can steal them and moth and rust can destroy them. Scripture, While Scripture gives us countless examples of miracles and divine healings, we also have Scriptures like Leviticus 13, which tells us how to prevent the spread of infectious diseases. And so while God has not given us a spirit of fear, He's also given us a brain to use it. Not to use it for fear, but to use it for His good. We'd be silly not to wash our hands or to come to church with a cough or a fever. That's foolishness. No one here, I think I gave the example on Thursday night, no one here eats their chicken medium rare. Well, why? Is it because it's more or less delicious? No, we don't want to get salmonella poisoning, so we cook our chicken all the way through. If you cook, cut into your chicken and bit it, and it was pink, you'd put it back on the grill and cook it some more. That's a precaution to prevent from getting sick. We need to draw the line of our precautions so that we don't fear, we don't do that out of fear, but also so that we don't, we're not guilted by people for taking precautions as well. And so it's important that we recognize and take extra steps of precaution to prevent the spread of illness in Clinton and beyond. We all bear that responsibility. We need to understand that the Bible is not a license to be foolish. If we already take the precaution of washing our hands, putting on our seat belts every day, and cooking the chicken all the way through, then by all means, if we take the precaution of staying a couple extra days at home, avoiding contact if you feel sick, and doing what you can to limit exposure and putting a little hand sanitizer on, by all means, you won't get judgment from me or from our congregation on doing that. We need to know it's okay that you're not living in fear by doing what you can. But understand, there is a line that will be crossed and it, it's determined, I think, by the Holy Spirit and not by ourselves. There's a line that can be crossed from precaution into fear. And we need to trust God to show us where that line is. So once again, let's, let's find our way back into balance. We'll jump ahead one more time to a serious verse, not Exodus 30, verse 21, but actually 2 Timothy uh, 1, verse 7. Second Timothy 1 7 says, For the Spirit of the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I was reading, I, I memorized it differently when I was a kid. I'm not sure where I got it from, but the New King James Version I recognized more. It says, For the for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And as I was thinking about that and kind of meditating on that, I thought, well, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Yes, we were gonna walk without fear. He's given us a, a spirit of power that we're empowered to do his work. He's given us the spirit of love and he's given us a sound mind to think with. Self-discipline to stop ourselves from buying that extra roll of toilet or that extra pack of toilet paper. <laughs> he's given us a sound mind so that we are, our actions are driven uh, not by self-preservation, not by what the news tells us to believe, not by, not driven by uh, 
you know, what we've seen on Facebook, but driven solely by the Spirit of God, by the power He's given us, the Spirit of love that He's given us, and the self-discipline to say, I'm not giving in to what the world is doing. It's far too easy to have our decision-making be clouded by fear in our own lives, and it's even easier to spread fear by talking about how bad it's gotten, making rash decisions, the whole Lysol wipe reselling and toilet paper reselling, that's all based on fear like I shared before. The hoarding of toilet paper and foolishness like that. All those fear-driven things, we are called not to give in to that. Not that anyone here is necessarily doing that, but we need to be aware of whether our actions are being driven by fear or driven by the Holy Spirit and our trust in Him. So I, I get it. So I was... Like I said before, Silas and I were in Kamloops on Friday. We went to Superstore, and uh, I knew by not how long it took me to find a parking spot how busy it was going to be inside. And so when I got inside, I saw the lineups cascading down the aisles for each, you know, for for each teller. I thought, how bad do I really need these groceries? <laughs> uh, well, it's been it's been ten days. I I need some groceries. I, I'm like, you know, I I'm, I I. I came to get groceries out of my regular necessity, not out of fear. And so, you know, I, I realized and I shared with you a little bit about the ground beef and my decision process behind stocking up or not stocking up. I bought, I determined in my mind I would buy what I would normally buy if the, the store was empty and there were no coronavirus. And I just said, Lord, thank you for, thank you for giving me the option to make this decision right now so that it's not based on fear. And in that moment, I had the realization that it sounds weird and kind of surreal, but I had that realization that God had brought Silas and I to this grocery store so that I would have an opportunity to connect with people who were afraid, who were afraid. And I could see it. I could see it, not even, not even in people's faces, but in the overpiling carts and the long lineups at the tellers and the empty toilet paper aisle when I got there and realized, oh, I'm getting a little low on toilet paper. But there's none here, and that's fine. So I, it, I'm not afraid of running out of toilet paper. I have a garden hose. <laughs> fine, we figure something out. <laughs> and I realize that in, in people, sorry, I didn't mean to be crass. <laughs> but in all seriousness, when we are, when we allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and do something as simple as smiling and joking with someone laughing with him. I, I, I believe that God's given me a sense of humor that I can share with people. Maybe be a Barnabas, a son of encouragement for people to try and encourage them. And so I determined in my, in, in my spirit, I said, Lord, you who, who grow the fruit of the spirit, Lord, grow in me love and joy for people today. Because I don't feel like loving. Grow in me Peace and patience, because it doesn't feel peaceful, and I'm not very patient at the third person who's slammed into my cart today. Give me love, joy, and peace and patience. Give me kindness for the people around me and goodness that I'll be a good person today and not stock up on Lysol wipes to sell them. The thought never crossed my mind. But I make me good, Lord. Make me gentle with people. Give me self-control today. Grow all of these things in me. I believe God has placed us on this earth to be his light. I mean, that's common sense. We are called to go to our communities wherever we go and spread light to people. 
And so instead of a necessity and a chore to go to the store, I made it my mission and my purpose to smile at every person who would dare look me in the face at my goofy grin. I probably looked like a crazy person. But you know what? Everywhere I went, I, I get to, I got to have short but meaningful conversations with people. And maybe I had the opportunity to give that person a small smile to let that person know, hey, it is going to be fine. We are going to be fine. You don't need to be scared. You don't need to stock up. You don't need to be here at 8 in the morning to see if a toilet paper shipment came in. It's fine. You're going to be fine. I didn't have to share. I didn't share those words with people. But Silas and I, we were joking together and laughing together. We had this experience of, all I can say is, the Lord grew that joy in me. And I was enjoying myself instead of being miserable with the long lineup I had to stand in. Laughing with the people ahead of us. Lamenting about the Canucks being cancelled and all the sports being cancelled. It's a boring world out there, people. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> We, we, God is going to put us into situations where not only do we have a privilege, but also an obligation to spread the fruit of the Spirit wherever we go in our conversations. And, and I, I apologize if all, you know, all of my sharing on this, uh, you know, maybe sp- sparks more fear. My goal for you is that would do the exact opposite. Not that we don't that we bury our head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist. That's not, that's not the opposite of fear. The opposite of fear is recognizing that there could be issues and taking the wise steps to avoid them while saying, even if it does happen, Lord, I still trust you. Even if, even if an outbreak gets out of hand in Clinton, British Columbia, Lord, a thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my other side, I will not be afraid and I will be protected. We can trust God. We don't use it as a license to be foolish, but we also uh, we also don't cower in our homes, not impacting people and not reaching people. So if you ask me what our next steps are as a church, well, some of them are going to match what other places are doing. I don't know that the Easter breakfast goes ahead because I honestly don't think they'll issue us a permit to serve food to 150 people. Does that mean that the gospel of God is not going to go forward in Clinton for the month of April? Absolutely not. We've seen our church thrive in times of crisis. When we were all on evacuation alert for weeks and weeks on end, guess who looked silly for hoarding all of the food and all of a sudden in an instant didn't look so silly anymore? If it were if it were the people, you know, if it were the people who are stockpiling all the toilet paper and all of the hand sanitizer to sell it, they would be selling that food. God called this church to give every morsel of it away. What a blessing God gave us. God gave our congregation the privilege and opportunity to feed our community and love them. And we had dozens of people coming to our church inside and out, spilling over onto the tables in the bright sunshine of July when we were praying for rain, ironically. But God blessed us with the opportunity and the privilege of loving our community in a time of crisis. I believe God's doing that again. It's definitely going to look different. It's not going to look like feeding people. I know that. Uh, We don't want to be foolhardy in the things we decide to do. But God is still calling us as a congregation, to do something, 
in this time of crisis. And 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 it's not fear mongering. It's not it's not spreading fear because honestly, fear spreads a lot faster than any virus does. But on the flip side of that, the kindness and goodness and the joy of the Lord is far more contagious than any virus is. The things we can share with people, the love that we can show, the modeling of walking without fear while also not being foolish, that walking that delicate tightrope of walking in precaution but not fear, of walking in confidence but not overconfidence, and walking in the love of God, that is a model to our people, to to the people of our community not to fear. And we can lead by example as as a congregation. So as for our church, we I, I've, I said in 2017, and I'll say it again, that um, as, uh, as, as people and as a church, crisis often brings out the extremes in people. So while we have this doofus, for lack of a better term, stockpiling 17,000 bottles of Purell and unable to sell it, that brings out the absolute worst in people, the hoarding and preventing people from being able to get things. That's that's the worst in people. That's I mean, it gets worse than that, sure. But it brings out that extreme. Well, in that, we also can see that it can bring out the best in people. It can bring out the servant heart in people, the caring for people, the checking in on our neighbors to see if they're okay, to ask them outright if they are afraid and remind them of Psalm 91, that they don't need to be afraid of the pestilence and the plague uh, uh, in the darkness and in, at midday. We can reach out to people and care for them and love them. We can reach out and lay hands on people, even if they are sick, and see them healed. That's not foolishness if the Holy Spirit tells you to do it. It is foolishness if the Holy Spirit doesn't tell you to do it. And you just read in Scripture that you should do that and... and uh, and forged ahead without without the go-ahead of the Holy Spirit. Because there were times when Jesus did not go out into crowds and heal. He withdrew by himself to be alone in prayer. Let's not take that out of context either direction. But let's find the balance of Scripture and trust him to lead us. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Perfect love drives out all fear. So allow the perfect love of God to flow through you in the days ahead and let him lead you and show you what you're supposed to do individually. And then as a congregation, we will be committed to do the same. Because you just never know what what you're going to be able to do to bring people comfort and peace. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that through each of us. Let's pray.